0: our limitations self-doubt and limiting beliefs about ourselves why do we give them so much power i'm simon caruso and this is the limitless man podcast speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential Welcome to the episode, guys. Well, it's no secret I love property and what property's done for me. I believe it's an awesome vehicle to create a lifestyle and can be used for well, many things really, but to generate wealth just through some intelligent investing. And today's guest is an intelligent investor himself, but he's on a mission to transform the way the world invests. He helps people pioneer prosperity through a combination of service, science and software, so they can achieve a life of freedom, choice and abundance in record time with minimal risk. He's been featured in Smart Property Investment, Australian Property Investor, Property Investor, and much more. He's the co-founder and CEO of Dashdot, one of Australia's fastest growing companies and also Australia's leading property portfolio growth partners. Goose McGrath, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Hey, thanks so much. What a wonderful intro, great to be here. Awesome, mate, awesome. Like I said, property is, or has played a huge role in my life. I think it's an awesome vehicle. I love what you're doing and when I read your bio I thought you've got to get him on straight away so I'm so glad that <laughs> you reached out. I think someone reached out it might have been one of your uh, one of your team members might have reached out and it's just yep. great to have you on buddy so thank you Yeah likewise and and vice
1: versa you know like and you know this podcast is all about you know um, unlimited potential and, and yeah. achieving everything you want all of that and that's something I'm super passionate about so I'm really excited to be here too and I think the the convergence of those two ideas is where some real magic happens, you know, like, like obviously, um, you're, you're mentioning you've, you've, your experience in exposure to property has been transformative for you. And it's like, when we combine the idea of unlocking our greatest potential, yeah. and then also choose the vehicles that are going to allow us to do that kind of stuff, it, it's just creates magic, you know, so
0: yeah, super excited. Yeah, awesome, man. Tell us a bit about your story, mate. How did you get involved in property to start off with? Was it always of interest to you when you were young? Growing up, or did it was it something you just sort of fell into? How did it all start for you, mate? I had zero interest in
1: property, um. So I kind of I'll go I kind of go back a little bit. So I grew up in regional regional Victoria, um, uh, in, in, in Australia, and, um. I, when I was fourteen, I thought that I was going to become a soccer player. You know, like every kind of young t- teenage. I wasn't actually anywhere near good enough to become a professional soccer player, by the way. In retrospect, but every kid like they're, like they're playing sport, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be that. And then I broke my back in a motorbike accident. Um, and when I broke my back in a motorbike accident, I I couldn't play sport. I was in bed for like months, all of that kind of stuff. And all I had was music. Uh, and all I had was, you know, kind of like the, the time of myself in my own mind. And I got involved in, once I could start to walk again, I, 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 you know, started mowing lawns until I had enough money to rent a hall. And I started organizing gigs and, you know, booking bands. And I was like, okay. Cause I just, and I went down the music path, which was awesome. But for me, that was my, that was my life. You know, I, I dropped out of school early, um, not because I was no good at it, but because I was already running, I was like running my own festival. I was like, I was off like a million miles an hour. Yeah. But I remember, I remember when I was, geez, I must've been. 17 or something like that and my older brother he was looking at buying a house right he he didn't end up buying this house but he was looking at buying a house in in the area near where we grew up and he was saying things like ah you know brick and mortar is a good investment and things like that and I was I'm sitting there I literally I was like why on earth would you want to do that that just seems like the dumbest thing in the world to do so I had, I had zero interest in it. No, I spent, um, I spent nearly up until I was about 30 years old, basically traveling the world, organizing music and arts festivals, doing all this kind of stuff. Um, and it was really, really uh, fun and really, really cool. But also um, in many ways, yeah. it actually led me to develop some pretty bad habits. So I ended up pretty depressed, um, lost, uh, way off track. I became addicted to drugs and alcohol. I lost my sense of self and my sense of like who I was and who I wanted to be. And man, I was in a really bad state by the, by the time we got to sort of 30 years old or around about that age, I was basically broke. I was a, I was a broke drug addict, alcoholic living on my office floor with nothing to show for it. My business was failing. like it was, man, I was, it was not good, like not good at all. Um, And But I was just, you know, I was just basically would just numb myself out of it and and carry on and just didn't really, was sort of going nowhere quickly. Met my now partner uh, at the time. God knows what she saw in me at that stage, but she saw something in me. We hit it off, you know, love, fantastic, wonderful, uh, and best thing that ever happened to me, actually. But then... It still took me a couple of years to kind of get, get sober, and the reason I got sober is because I realized if I didn't, two things were going to happen. One, I was going to lose her. My partner's name is Gabby. We now run the business together. We started the business, this business together. I was going to lose her, and I was probably going to kill myself. Like I, I knew I was yeah. pretty, I was getting pretty dire. Um, so I realized that I finally had a big enough re- the kill me, me dying wasn't actually that much too high on my agenda, but the idea of losing Gabby was enough of a motivation to me yeah. to go. I've got to change. I've got to sort this out. So I quit drugs and alcohol and an interesting thing happens my brain started working for the first time in years <laughs> and so we started we started going well where are we going in life you know we've got this we're working 100 hour weeks we're burnt out we're like where's this going and we thought okay we need to create financial freedom we didn't really know what that was had no idea what we were doing and we thought well, let's invest in property because that's how you do it right you just yeah, buy properties yeah. and they that's go it. up in value and you just become financially free and it's Magic, right? And uh, we had no idea how it worked. And we successfully bought the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time and lost a bunch of money. (laughs) Um, But the good thing about that is that that was the catalyst. That was a real catalyst to make me go, because I was thinking clearly for the first time in years. And I suddenly went, huh, hang on a second. That wasn't how that was supposed to go. Why is it that some properties go up in value? Some properties go down in value. Why are some people successful? Why are some people not successful? And that really set us on this path to try and, really solve that and you know i do have a a slightly addictive obsessive personality and so i spearheaded that towards trying to solve that problem i was like well how do we solve that problem how do we what what actually is the problem how do you solve in effect solve the property market yeah now it's a very big problem to solve and we haven't necessarily solved it yet we're pretty close but but you know a little bit of way into that you know started helping other people started the business so that's kind of like it's only really quite recently that i got into property and i find it a really fascinating vehicle
0: Yeah. Can I ask you, mate, like your term of financial freedom, what that actually means for you? It's a term that gets thrown around a lot in this space, right? So what's your definition of it, mate? I've heard many definitions. So I'm just curious to to see how, or what your take on it is. It's the ability to do
1: what you want, when you want, with who you want. And it's not what, that is not what most people think it is, right? Because if you, I've spoken to thousands of property investors over the last couple of years, and I reckon... Definitely north of ninety percent of them always say things like, "I want ten properties in ten years and hundred thousand dollars in cash flow." Don't know where they got that from. Somewhere along the line, that's become the the um, the kind of like proxy for like what it takes to get to become financially free. Uh, most people don't know how to work it out, right? For me, it is being able to it is being able to wake up and do and live a life by choice, right? Yeah. Now, there's actually a formula that we created for this, which might be really useful for for the podcast listeners as well. Yeah it is your it is your uh, living annual living expenses so the easiest way to work that out is just look at your last three months bank statements divide that by 3 times or times that by 4 right it's pretty yeah. simple right that is your total annual that's that's what it costs to live your life today so at a baseline you want to at least maintain the standard that you've got today cool Minus any direct work related costs. So some people have got two cars because somebody's got to drive to work. Maybe you wouldn't yep. need two cars if you didn't have to go to work anymore. Some people, but you know, public transport or suits or well, any of those like direct work-related costs, right? Yep. So total living expenses minus direct work-related costs, times by, so you put that in brackets, mm. times by um uh times by inflation to the power of years to go. So if you want to be, if you want to be able to live life on your own terms in 10 years. And let's just say you've got $100,000 of, uh, of living expenses and uh, let's say you've got $110,000 of living expenses and $10,000 of that is work-related costs. You say you get 100 grand minus 10 grand, right? Times by inflation to the power of, to the power of 10, right? So right. 1.02 yeah. to the power of 10. That gives you your number. And so what, what that really should be is like, what would it take for me to wake up tomorrow and not have to spend 50 to 80% of my waking hours going to work? Yeah, to be able to wake up and read a book if I want to go for a walk, take my kids to school, whatever that is, that yeah. is freedom. Time yeah. is freedom. I agree. It's not, all of the all of the rest of it is just financial obesity, which is great, but it's um that comes later.
0: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the or well, the most valuable commodity we have is time. That's something we can't get back. If we're if we're intelligent and we we can learn and apply some skills, we can learn to make money. We can learn to create wealth. However, yeah, once time's gone, it's gone. So. Having that back is, or having the ability to say, right, I'm going to use my time differently. I don't no longer have to exchange that. I think it's uh, freedom in itself, man, for sure. Yeah,
1: 100. So. And the, the interesting thing about today's world is you can achieve that much, much faster and much easier than than you used to be able to. Yeah, you know, because once upon a time you were um, stuck by geographical ge- geographical constraints. So you know, if you wanted a job, you probably had to live close to the job. But now, in the digital economy and everything yeah. like that, you can. You know, you can earn, for example, Sydney dollars, but living live in I don't know, outback New South Wales somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you can you can create what I call geographic arbitrage. You know, yeah. for example, myself personally, me, me and my partner Gabby, we live in Bali. Um, and why do we live in Bali? Because we can. not You know, like we were like, yeah. okay, cool, we've built a business that we can run from anywhere in the world. So why aren't we doing that? And we were looking at the living costs in Sydney, and I'm like, is this actually worth it versus the what the what the lifestyle opportunity would be if we moved somewhere else. Now, we didn't instantly just go to Bali because shit, cheap. We were like, well, where else in Australia would we want to live and whatever? And and then, then we decided, you know, well, actually, we went on a little holiday to Bali. And we're like, oh, let's just go here yeah. give this a crack for a while. Yeah. And so you can kind of create that freedom. And I, I think freedom comes when you're living when you're living a life um that you don't need a holiday from is a really, really important kind of context. Because yeah. if you still feel the need to escape, it means you're not doing the thing you love. And if you're doing the thing you love, then you are already. Free, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I just want to go back a step before we start talking about the well, dash dot and then some of the principles implemented for for people that want to sort of get involved in this, but your addiction, your drug addiction, alcohol addiction, obviously, that would have consumed you when you were involved or when you were experiencing that. So how did you actually find yourself through that? Because a lot of the listeners, you know, it's, they're secretly binging or they've got some issues that they're trying to hide. And they could be wildly successful, right? And a lot of successful entrepreneurs—I've had this chat with, with many people—they've had these addictions because you said it before. There's quite an addictive personality there to start off with, which is why you're so successful. Ironically, when you actually put your mind to to better use, and then you start living your values. So, do you remember that process? How you actually got yourself from from that situation to to where you are today?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good it's a good question. Um, for me, it was always, it really came down to having the right reason. That's what it really came yeah. down to yeah. because you will never change. Like I am of the very firm belief that anyone can do anything, right? Anyone can do anything that they want in life, barring some major potentially like physical or mental, uh, impairment, but you can achieve whatever you want in life. And also, uh, addiction is a choice, right? I know that there's physiological stuff with that, but addiction is a choice. It is a choice that you make when you don't have a reason to make a different choice. It's that simple, right? It's that yeah. simple. Or you and 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 if you can find meaning enough to cause a change, then you can do it. So for context, you know, like the I was I was like I wasn't just dilly dallying around smoking a couple of spliffs on the weekend or whatever. Yeah. Like I was I was pretty deep into into heavy heavy A class stuff from morning to night, like okay. all to all the time like i would i would like literally wake up and drink vodka and start taking a class drugs every day wow. that bad okay and so to be able to come from from that right to to effectively going cold turkey which is effectively what i, what I did um really came down to having a reason if you don't have a reason you're always going to feel like ah, okay well uh, i'll give it a go and maybe i'll sort of stop doing it for a while but and you, if you don't have a reason that's strong enough, you won't change. The same thing goes. I've always struggled with my weight, but when I, particularly after I was going through this period of abusing myself for years, I, I, when I was kind of like having this, like, okay, I've got to, I've got to quit all the drugs and alcohol. I've got to get back on track. I was also really overweight. Like I was yeah. like, man, I looked at myself in the mirror with fresh eyes and I was like far out, dude, yeah. You're like 31 or whatever it was at the time. And, and I was just like, man, what is this? Look at you. Yeah. You're a big sweaty, like alcoholic. Drug. I was like, what is going on here? And so the same thing happened with my weight is I had to have a reason. Uh, I had to have a reason it was important enough. Now, interestingly, interestingly, once I'd lost a bunch of weight, I lost the reason. And so then I started like, it's okay, I'll have a few desserts. And and you start to get a bit relaxed about it again. So you've got to have a reason that is strong enough, right? If you don't have a reason that's strong enough, right if you do not have a reason thats strong enough you never get anywhere. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I just went cold turkey and it was perfect. I went cold turkey uh, and then I was sober for... I don't know a couple of months or whatever yeah and I was thinking aha I've solved it I've got it I'm yeah. cu- I've got it look yeah. at me yeah. I won and then I was like ah cool I can probably start having a couple of glasses of wine again or something yeah. like that yeah. all good and I'm the kind of guy that you know one glass is too many and a hundred's not enough you know right, and so yeah. Yeah. and so as soon as I so I, t- I was like yeah yeah that's cool I can have a little glass of champagne I was at some event and I went I had a glass of champagne week-long bender like no yeah. no week-long bender. it was a bang it was like oh i was like okay pulled myself out, back out of that went sober again and i was sober again for a few more months and i was like i've got this i've yeah. got this and then uh was it some other events and had a thing B- bang and then i was like on a two-week bender i was like, oh man and then i went sober again for a little for a little bit of time and for another few months and then i had a really stressful you know terrible part of a really hard part of life i had business is failing and all these things were suddenly going wrong all at the same time. And the stress got to me and I was like, ah, oh, I just need something to take the edge off. Bang back in the black hole again. And I was just like, okay. So it turns out I can't have a symbiotic relationship with this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I need to, st- I just need to stay away from it. So now I still think about having things like a glass of wine or whatever, you know, yep. like I can to think about traveling in Italy and, you know, and, oh yeah, man, wouldn't that be good? Yeah, and the pro- the thing that I've just had to come to realize is it's just not worth it. Yeah, like it, the, it it is just not worth it. And I the the evidence now suggests that I am that is an area of my life that I can't actually control, and I really like to be in control. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. And, and I mean, I'd imagine your life's changed off like, for the better, like a million percent. You know, I've achieved I've achieved more in the geez, so Christmas Day twenty eighteen. Christmas Day 2018 was the last time that I had a, had anything, a drink, or yeah. anything, cigarette, the, and the whole shit match. Um. So what's that? Four years or something like yeah. that. Nearly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I've achieved. I have achieved more in the last four years. Uh. That I. That I have in the entire rest of my life. Um. I feel better. I am more focused. I'm achieving more. Uh, you know. Like all. Everything that I have today is only possible because I took that out of my life. And when I think about it in that context, it's like, even if you just, even if you don't have a, have a problem, a drug addiction, you know, or, or an alcohol addiction or anything like that, those, those substances still do affect you. Right. So I know people who didn't have the issues that I had, who also then decided to go sober. And honestly, I've watched them triple their businesses in 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. Purely, purely because they took that off the table. And if you, and if I said to you, Hey, do you know, the only thing you need to do to triple your business is to. I don't know, stop eating hamburgers.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You'd be like, what? I can stop eating hamburgers. I'm going to triple my business. It's like, yep. All you got to do is stop eating hamburgers or chocolate, right? No chocolate for a year and you'll triple your business. You'd be like, man, right? Cool. No chocolate. You'd be like, done. I'm out, right? No chocolate. You wouldn't think anything of it. So you'd really got to think about it like that. And so when I think now, I still have those thoughts every now and then of like, ah, it's been four years, you know, like, surely I could have a glass of wine now. I'm like, Man, yeah. just I just I just the, the I I the longer I'm sober, the more risky it seems. Because I'm like, we've built this epic thing. What if? What if? Yeah. It I it I all disappeared because I just made that decision, and I'm just like, nah,
0: I'm out. Yeah, nah. It's good that you explain the false starts. I think that's a lot of people don't go into detail like that. So I think it's awesome because it does it does take a while, I reckon, to actually you know, find your feet and to, and to realize or attach something that's big enough to actually maintain that, that level of consistency that, that you need to, to change, you know? So, uh, thanks for sharing that, man. I want to talk about now the brain, how the brain works, when you want to achieve something, like how do we, why are some people successful, do you think? Why are some people, why do they have this ability to chase something and achieve it because they can think big versus other people that, that can't think big. What's your take on that, man?
1: Well, so I'll start by saying I think that the single biggest problem that most people have, whether they be business owners or not, is not thinking big enough. That's the that is the single biggest issue. And the question then is like, how do you help people think bigger? And that is really hard to work out how to do. Yeah. How do you help people to think bigger? I've had people ask me this all the time. So because I think very big and they're like, How do we how can we do and I'm like, man, that's really, really, really tricky. And what it starts with is first identifying like, what do you want in life? like who do you want to be and what do you want in life that takes time the first time people try and do that then they're not, it's not going to be very good they're like what do you want to if i went to someone who had never really thought about that which is probably 70 to 80 percent of people they've never really thought about what they want to be in like who they want to be in life what they want to achieve where they want to end up in the next 5 10 15 20 years yeah most people are like oh geez i don't know i haven't thought about that and then if i said well think about it they wouldn't they wouldn't have the capability to look that far into the distance, right? And so it takes a bit of time and it takes exercise it takes practice. And you've got to really spend the time to start to dig through the layers. And you've got to visualize what your life will be like when you're, you know, in, in 20 years time, from wherever you are today, in 20 years time, when you wake up, what do you want your life to look like? Yeah. Who do you want to be? And what impact do you want to have had on the world? And you start there. That's the first bit, right? Now, most people then started to get scared, right? Because maybe they've decided that they in twenty years they want to be a billionaire and I don't know, a private jet. And usually people go to that extreme first. Yeah. And I've been I've be, I've been on this path. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna be a zillionaire and I'm gonna own islands and a super yacht and I'm gonna man I'm so like all of that kind of stuff. And so you, typically once you start trying to break through that barrier, you go to like you go to the um the outside extremes, right? And you're like, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be dripping in gold. It's gonna be, you know, the yeah. And cla- so then then that's scary to people because they're like oh my god that just seems all made up and i'm never going to get there well you know you can you can if you want to be honest if that is actually what you want <laughs> if that is actually what you want then you can do that you can absolutely go get that the problem is that that is actually not what most people want that is what they are trained to believe that they think they should want if they think bigger and they want to become more themselves yeah. right? Yeah. so i one thing that i live by is that the universe will give you absolutely everything you want as fast as you want and in the volume that you desire, all you have to do is believe it and be open to receiving. That's the catch. Yeah. That is the catch because you can paint whatever picture you want in the future. You could be like, yeah, I'm going to be a zillionaire. I'm going to own nine planes. I'm going to, I'm going to fly to Mars for my birthday. I'm going to whatever. But if you don't deeply believe it, like believe yeah. it in your core, That will never happen. And the thing that you actually believe, which could be like, I'm going to amount to nothing. I'm never going to achieve anything great. I'm not going to do it. If you actually believe that, the universe will give you everything you want as fast as you want and in the volume you desire, as long as you believe it. Yeah. And so what you believe shapes your reality. If you believe that you can start a spaceship company and send people to Mars, like Elon Musk, then you will nap, your brain will actually take steps to make that happen. Now, belief is also attached to emotion. So you have to have a reason for believing that. Like if you're like, yeah, I want jets and whatever like that. Yeah. Really spend the time to to really think that through. Visualize what your life would be like on that planet and stuff like that. And unless you are deeply and emotionally connected to that specific outcome, let it go, right? Because it's not going to happen for you. Because there's another part to this as well when you are emotionally invested in something, right, which typically comes from, you know, acts of service or, you know, impact or, you know, there's usually, there's got to be something attached to why you want to achieve a certain thing. You might want to get, you might want to become a squillionaire, but why do you want to become a squillionaire? Yeah. Is it if you want to become a squillionaire so that you can retire all of your family and look after generations after you? And is that something that's really emotional important for you? Is it because you want to start a philanthropic organization that solves world hunger? Like, what is the thing? There has to be a reason, because a very, 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 very interesting thing happens in the brain: is your um, your amygdala, which is your fight or flight center, is responsive to emotions, right? And it then works with your frontal lobe to dictate the types of things you need to do to, to move you in the direction of those emotions, whatever they are. So an example of that is if you're in a house and it's on fire, your amygdala is going to be going, ah, this is on fire. We've got to quickly, very emotional. You're going to yeah. be very stressed out because you're like, we're going to die. So your emotions fire up and you're like, ah, then your frontal lobe will be like, okay, that sounds important. What are we going to do about it? Get to the door and get out. And so it'll tell you the things you need to do. And they work in, they work in synergy with each other. The same thing goes on a bigger time horizon. If you can be like, I'm going to make a billion dollars. And the reason I'm going to make a billion dollars is because I'm going to become the world's happiest billionaire. I'm going to set an example (coughs) for the rest of the world to become, you know, the best versions of themselves and all of that kind of stuff. And, and then I'm going to go and solve world hunger. Right. And, and if you are actually deeply emotionally connected to that, your amygdala is going to be doing the same thing as if you were stuck in a burning house and it's going to be going, this is important, bang, 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 bang. And it's going to be firing up, going, this is important. And then your frontal lobe is going to be working out, oh, okay, well, what do we need to do to get to that? <coughs> and, Sorry. And that's, that's okay. That relationship between your amygdala, amygdala and your frontal lobe specifically rewires your brain. Like that is how neuroplasticity yep. works. And so then you can actually rewire your brain to success. Yep. And so all of that is a roundabout way of explaining why some people actually achieve the things they want or achieve certain levels of success. And while other people don't? Because they've, they've actually got to work out what that level looks like for them. They've got to believe in it. They've got to be emotionally attached to it. All of that kind of stuff to drive them forward. Because I see business owners as well. So you've got me on a roll here. That's so, mean, right? yeah. <laughs> I, I see business owners as well who are emotionally attached to achieving a degree of business success. Then they achieve business success and then they plateau. And the reason for that is because maybe when they started their business, maybe they had no food. Maybe they were really struggling. Maybe they were like, they were like, they were like, right, I'm, they were driven. And then I don't know, they grow their business and all of a sudden they're making plenty of money and uh, and then they become comfortable. And then when they become comfortable, they're like, oh, well, I'm not emotionally driven as much as I was because I'm like, kind of got like a nice life and everything like that. And so because of that, they plateau. So the only way to pull yourself forward is to continue to continuously set new standards and give them deeper and deeper meaning otherwise you'll plateau.
0: You know I I'm, I'm so glad you spoke of it like this. I had a podcast yesterday with a gentleman and he went into tremendous detail about the law of attraction and obviously my first exposure to that was like The Secret. You know that documentary The Secret which really it's 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 a, it's a tiny snippet of what it is and really when I saw that it was almost as if you could wish your way to something just by thinking it like having a, this, this wish or or thought as opposed to manifestation. So they're, they're two different things, you know, and he went on to explain that similar to what you did today in regards to invoking that emotion and actually having that vision first and going, right, what do I want? What do I want my life to look like? But then actually believing it and attaching that belief with emotion as if it's already there as if and, and you feel that. So I think it's just getting in that state and training your brain to do that. And I think if we can't do that, like you could give someone the best strategy goose like on, on how to triple their income or invest in that area, they're going to sabotage it, they're not going to have the the clarity, they're not going to have the, the mindset to be able to actually execute that strategy that you're going to give them. So I think it's awesome, man, the way you, you, you phrase that. And that's, I think the first step to actually becoming A savvy and intelligent investor.
1: I think it's the first step to anything. It's the first step to whatever it is you want. You don't have to want to be an investor. Like maybe, maybe you just maybe you want to become a monk. Like whatever that thing is. But it all starts with belief. And the thing about belief, like belief is the belief is the cornerstone of everything. It is the cornerstone of everything because of you know the quantum field and that we live in and all of the. We could go down that rabbit hole if you want. But the thing, but the thing is as well, like belief. You actually have to brainwash yourself. <laughs> you actually have to brainwash yourself. The only way that you can create new beliefs, yeah. right, is that you have to effectively, consciously, deliberately brainwash yourself. Mm. Like, like it's you've got, to, you've got to be your own propaganda machine. That's yeah. the only way it works. And so we're, we're already doing- brainwashed,
0: mate, when you think about it. I mean, we're, we're conditioned from birth. So in a sense, it's just, Yeah. We're influenced yeah. already, and that's how it's all formed to start off with. Yeah, you gotta so, yeah.
1: reprogram, you gotta yeah. reprogram yourself. You gotta brainwash yourself, reprogram yourself. And when I say brainwash, people are like, ah, oh, that sounds a bit yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're already brainwashed. You're already brainwashed, right? So people have told you how to behave, how to act, right. what's possible for you, yep. what your lot should be in life, what kind of people you should it's like, well, hang on a second if you can be anything that you want to be and if you you can create anything that you want in, in this, in this physical uh, and non-physical world, it's like, well, okay, let's just like put a new operating system in there and see what happens. And I absolutely, absolutely an evidence and proof of this. Like absolutely, like not, not metaphorically when I break my back, and I was listening to all I could do was listen to music. I was listening to these CDs and stuff of all of these bands playing at live festivals and stuff. Never been to a festival, didn't know what they were. And I wrote down the names of five festivals. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to become, I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy that goes and organizes music festivals. I'm going to run these things one day. Yep. Where'd that thought come from? Don't know. Wrote down five festival names that I just got off the back of CD covers, right? Never, didn't even have the internet back then, I don't think. Yep. And then 10 years later, I would realized I'd gone and, and had management positions at every single one of them. I was like, Holy smokes! Yeah. And everything that, and you've got to, you've just got to put the programming language in there, and you've got to believe it, and, and at some level, and then just let it, let it all happen. So yeah.
0: The other thing as well, which I used to believe, which obviously I no longer believe, is that you have to do it yourself, right? And mm. what I have found is what what when I've actually got an intention and I want to achieve something and I believe it, other people start to sort of come into your life. And I guess that's then where you got to learn to accept as well when that happens. Has that been your experience as well?
1: Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be open to receiving. That's the thing. Yeah. You've got to. You've got to know. You've got to know when something is knocking. It doesn't mean saying yes to everything. Like, because some people say things like, say yes to every opportunity, or yeah. you know, like in order to, and that is absolutely not true. That is absolutely not true because the way the way for you to get to the destination is not by trying to take every path it is by being able to intuitively feel the path forward and release yourself from your ego yeah right because it is the ego that gets in the way right it is the ego that gets in the way it's the oh i'm scared because this doesn't feel like it's the like you know it this doesn't look like it's the way forward it's like okay just release let go of the ego if you get rid of the ego all of the paths open up before you and you can more clearly see the way and the way most people think that getting from where they are now to where they want to be is like a straight line it's a staircase I do this and I move up a level and I do this and I move up a level and I do this yeah. and I move up a level and I do this and I move up a level and they think it's like a staircase that goes up and it is a staircase except mm. it's not a straight staircase. It's a winding staircase and when you're, on a, when you're on a spiral staircase, it feels like you're going round and round in circles. Yeah. It feels like you're going round and round in circles and you're looking out one minute, and you're like looking at one view, and you're like, "Hang on a second, that view is different to the view over there." When you're on the other side of the spiral staircase, and you're looking, and you're going, "Hang on a second, am I even? What is even going on here?" But you're consistently moving up the spiral, and so the 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 path to get from where you are now to where you want to want to get to is the way of the winding staircase. Like it takes it's roundabout, and you've got to move with it, and you've got to be open to receiving. And that that being open to receiving also means being open to receive, open to receiving. Potential setbacks, right? Yeah. Sometimes when things are going against you, sometimes when things are like, oh, it feels like all of these things are failing in yeah. inverted commas, because maybe the thing that was going forward is now going backwards. Maybe it's your business, right? Or maybe you've got a business and it's been growing and then, uh oh, now it's shrinking a bit. A lot of people are like, ah, I'm failing and uh, all of this kind of stuff versus saying, oh, this must be on the path. This is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this must be on the path. Hmm. I wonder what I'm learning from this and I wonder how this is setting me up for the next stage of my journey, right? And that is is that, that—that is how the shift, but you've got to be open to that. The only way you can be open to that is to start to try and kill the ego.
0: Yeah. Man, we could go down this rabbit hole for another hour, like the quantum field and all this <laughs> stuff. I do want to get it to, to, to the property side of it now because you're, you've got a pretty big mission, man. You want to help people become intelligent investors build a lifestyle yep. also with minimal risk so when people think property sometimes they think it's too risky I don't want to go down that road I don't want to play that game how do people begin to think intelligently or well, with a more calculated approach mm. to actually build that a portfolio and and how do you assist people in doing that mate
1: badly I think there's two schools of thought typically when people think about property either it's too risky too confusing and too hard. Or it's slow, boring, and doesn't do anything for you. It's basically yeah. like a shitty shitty bank and a liquid bank, right? And they're the kind of two camps that most people are in. And in fact, it doesn't have to be either of them. It can be fast and it can be low risk, <laughs> which sounds good, right? Because it's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty, in case you can't tell by my energy, I'm like, right, I yeah. like to, I'm yeah. like, look, let's go. Oh, but I, yeah, I also, man, like I have been at the bottom. I have been at the bottom of the barrel and I am not that keen to go back there. So I would prefer to make sure that I don't stuff things up, right? And so like for me it's about how fast can you go whilst also making sure you're protecting your downside. And it comes down to a couple of things. Look, every every single individual is different, right? And so yeah. first of course depends on where you are now and where you're trying to get to, right? If you're if you're a billionaire trying to add another 200K to your net worth, then your, your property journey is probably going to be a bit different to someone who's got 50 grand and is trying to become a millionaire, right? And that's that's a, that's a very different um, different story. And so, but really it comes down to understanding, you know, what the what elements of the property you need in order to help you on your journey. Because if you've got a very high income, then maybe cash flow isn't as important to you. If you've got a relatively lower income, then maybe cash flow is more important to you. But understanding the, the basic characteristics of property is the three characteristics of, of any property. And that is... How much cash flow does it have? How much growth, how much growth can it get? And what is the value adding potential on it? Right. Now, in saying that, we call that the holy trinity, right? Every property has got one that has got degrees of those three elements into it. And so, for example, a development site, right? For people who might want to buy development, that might be really low cash flow. Maybe it's a blank bit of dirt, right? And maybe in fact there's not much growth in that area, but you maybe there's a whole ton of value adding potential to it, and you could go and build a house on it and make a bunch of money. Um, a different example might be a unit block, right? Uh, an apartment block type thing, which you might be able to buy, which might which might have uh, maybe no development potential or value. Added. Maybe you could do a reno on it, but let's say in this example you can't. Maybe there's no no value adding potential on it, and maybe there's okay growth, but whatever. But it's really high cash flow, and that might serve that purpose pretty well. And so, the, and like, and there's different variations in between. Now, for most people, what you want to do is you want to find the optimal combination of growth and cash flow. Uh, Because where people, where most people get stuck, it's on financing. It's not on, on, look, when you're getting started, the very, the hardest thing is getting started. It's getting that initial capital to get going. But once you can do that, then your portfolio actually works with you and expands your cash, right? It's one of the best vehicles in the world because of the leverage you can get on it and the safety of it. So people that think it's risky. It's like it's one of the least risky assets in the whole world, which is why you can get so much leverage on it so safely over such a long period of time with really strict conditions on when, on, on when the banks can actually ask for their money back, which is very different to shares. So, you know, so it's a, it's a very safer, much safer investment, but where most people get stuck after that is finance. So, like ninety percent of property investors never get past the second property, but well, on average, you're probably going to need about five properties in order to be able to achieve financial freedom yep. through property. That's that's my experience, and I believe that most people can achieve the the level of financial security that they need in order to live a life on their own terms in the next ten to fifteen years, as just by buying five properties in five years. It's that simple. If you can buy five properties in less than five good properties, bought you know right property, right place, right time, yep. in less than five years. Um, typically in between 10 and 15 years, you'll hit that kind of baseline, that MVL, that minimum viable life number, that kind of financial free number that we talked that, that we talked about earlier. You'll be able to hit that. So it becomes super achievable, but you've got to understand like what specific mechanics does the asset need to have in order to make sure it don't get stuck. Because I know a guy, for example, who the very first property he bought was a development site and didn't yep. know what he was doing. He just thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna buy this thing and I'm gonna. Man he was like twenty years old. He couldn't afford to do the development and he couldn't afford to refinance it. He got stuck with that property for four years, yeah, and lost lost tons of money. yeah. I also I also know um other people who who have kind of gone off in in different directions and they're like, right. The only thing I need to do is go for go for yield and cash flow. And so they've gone and bought, I don't know, like shacks out in the middle of Upper Conductor West somewhere, which has got yeah. a fifteen percent yield, fifteen uh, percent yield on paper, but it's like it's a hundred thousand dollar property and it's not growing, and they don't get any equity out of it. And so, yeah, technically you could service another loan, but where's the cap- cap- capital coming from? And so, trying to work out what that optimal combination of those unique characteristics looks like is really, really important. Yeah, where the science comes in—that's the strategy, right? That's the that's a that's a, prin- a principles based approach. Where the science comes into it is how can you identify the right property in the right place at the right time? There's 15,264 suburbs in Australia, about 600,000 properties get sold every year. I can't remember how many million, million residential properties there are in Australia. So specifically, how do you find the right property in the right place at the right time? That That is really tricky. That's the hard part, considering all the markets moving all of the time on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. There's an old saying that gets thrown around as well, property doubles every seven years, or seven to 10 years, right? Now, I found out the hard way, I've still got a property I bought in 2008, and it's only the last 18 months, Goose, that it's actually worth more than what I paid for it, only because there's been a bit of an uplift with what's happened in the market and whatnot. So that's not always the case. Do you just want to dispel that as well and like explain just some of the basic markers as to why that's not true, and perhaps what are the markers that make it true?
1: Totally. So that, remember I said at the start that we bought the wrong property in the wrong place yeah. at the wrong time. I yeah. remember talking to my business partner at the time before we bought that. I remember the conversation vividly. Um, I was like, yeah, I was thinking about buying a property. He goes, oh yeah. I said, property doubles every seven years, right? He goes, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure that's how it works. I'm like, yeah. okay, so just buy any property and it doubles in seven years. And he was like, yeah, pretty sure that's it. I was like, all right, cool. So that was about how much info and knowledge I had. And I was like, just buy any property, like any any property it'll just double in seven years and yeah that's that's definitely 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 not true now you can get properties that double in three years this is the thing right the markets don't move in a straight line most people if you look at the share if you look at the share market um most people will be familiar at least on a cursory level of looking at share markets they tend to go up and down a little bit each day and they're kind of like they're like, you know, like jagged mountaintops all over the place. And sometimes they're going up and sometimes they're going down and, you know, and, but every day there's a bit of movement up or down or sideways or something like that. And so you see that every day with shares, and so you intrinsically know that the prices are moving all over the place. With property though, we typically just don't have the measurement stick to be able to know what is happening to that on a, on a regular basis. And so we might pick two points in time and go, okay, from this year to this year, what happened? And maybe it went from 400 grand to 500 grand over whatever, 10 years or whatever the case may be. And you draw a straight line between those two points. And you go, look, property goes up in a straight line, (laughs) which is just not true. Property Property prices move on a daily basis, right? So property prices move on a daily basis. And if most property owners could see the prices of their properties moving on a daily basis, they would probably have a heart attack. Now, personally, I'm actually, we're actually creating some technology that's going to do that, not because we want to give everyone heart attacks, but because we want people to be able to understand uh, understand what that what that actually looks like because there's, there's optimal kind of stuff, stuff in there to work out from a, f- a financial modeling perspective. Now, what typically happens in most markets, so you've actually got, there are, as I said, there's 15,264 suburbs in Australia. Every single one of those suburbs behaves differently. A suburb will behave differently from the suburb next to it. Now, suburbs are just political boundaries, right? So actually there's different levels of, of, layering and stuff that you can do to create different things, but effectively the, even down to a street level, street level pockets move differently to each other. So the difference between one section of a suburb and another section of a suburb could be 50 meters. Yeah. And it could be a dif- difference between 1.8% a year in capital growth, right? So it gets very, very, very granular, but broadly speaking, let's just take suburb level stuff, right? What, what frequently happens is that suburbs move in a more of a staircase pattern. So they'll typically go, they'll go up really quickly. And then they'll be slightly, they'll slightly cr- pass their peak, and then they'll come off a little bit, and then they'll kind of go sideways for like. So they typically go up between for between three and seven years is yep. a typical typical timeframe where they'll go from from bottom to top of a cycle. Depends on where you are, but it's between three and seven years, and then it'll typically go sideways for about ten years, <laughs> and then it'll typically go up for another you know three to seven years, and it'll go sideways for about ten years. That's on average, right, for most suburbs in Australia, and so depending on when you buy in the cycle is going to massively dictate what type of returns you get. Mm. If you buy just after, if you buy just after it has peaked, or if you buy at the peak, which is what most people do, because most people wait until they're like, Oh my God, I've heard about this hotspot and I can see all these people making money. Look at all of these people that have made all of this money. I'm going to buy there and they buy when it's too late and it's already past the peak. And so then within sort of two to three or four years, the price they paid, it's now worth less than that. And so they don't want to sell it because it's now worth less than what they paid for it. So then they've got to wait for 10, 10 years. So it might be 13 or 14 years before the prices start to go back up to where they were when they paid when they bought them, right? It's kind of in your case, right? Yeah. Uh, and then it'll start to move and it'll start to move quickly because that's the next phase in the cycle, right? And so, so people, don't people say things like you can't time the market. It's like, okay, so if you genuinely believe that you can't find the optimal time to enter into the market, then literally, it doesn't matter where you buy. Just buy any property anywhere. Just wing it. Just buy anything. If you've got the money for it, just have a crack. If you actually (laughs) believe that you can't time the market, then you don't need a strategy or you just need a spray and pray. Just have a crack and who cares? But You absolutely can time the market. Um, you absolutely can work out what are the now not to like a day, like ring the bell when it's the top and ring right. the bell when yeah. it's the bottom, yeah. but you can absolutely work out the optimal times to enter into an exit out of markets. Now, typi- typically, we we're entering into markets six months to six months to twenty four months before most other investors are piling in there. And a great example, uh, right? A really recent example is Bundaberg for us. We started buying in Bundaberg, um, I, I can't remember two two more than two years ago, yeah. And the investors we stopped buying there. I don't know, I'm going to say a year ago or something like that. And I saw recently uh, a media article talking about how Bundaberg is the latest hotspot and everyone should be getting in there. And there's all these property professionals saying, look at this, wahoo, good yields, good growth. And it's like, we've literally stopped buying there a year ago. We're not even buying there anymore. Like we haven't, you guys you are way too late, right? The net result of that is why some people get tremendous success in real estate and other people don't. And we've I mean, we've spent millions of dollars developing the technology to be able to do that, so we've got we've got an yeah. advantage there. But that's, I mean, that's worth it, right? If you can work out how to solve that element of the market and get and get more success.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. If you're hearing about it on the Channel Seven News or something, it's probably too late, guys. You know, so yeah. And, and there is method or methodology to actually getting involved in markets at the right time based on real information, which. You know, you, you said you obviously spent a lot of resources, a lot of money in that just to get that sort of as accurate as possible. I mean, it's impossible to be, you know, no one's got a crystal ball, but you know, there are definitely markers and you know, one of my mentors, he drills that into me all the time about, you know, not having, we don't have a crystal ball, but we certainly can put the odds in our favor, which is minimizing that risk component that you spoke about before, man. So, yeah. Totally. You know it's another, you're interested in property. So I'll share this other little
1: nugget with you, which is really, really interesting is that not all property markets behave like property markets. And so um, at a certain price point, media price point, suburbs start to behave more like luxury handbags, <laughs> right? Which is really, yeah. really, in, which is really, really interesting, right? That's so interesting. the same economics that drive the value of a Hermes handbag, for example, is the same economics that drive the prices of property in Bondi or Vaucluse or something like that in Sydney, because what has specifically happened is that the value has detached from the utility, right? So in most cases, there's a relationship between the utility of a utility of an asset and the value of an asset. Um, And that utility could be driven by either things like um, the desire to live somewhere or the desire to get a return from an asset or whatever. There's usually a utility element into it, which is linked with the, um, the valuation element of it. But, in a place like, yeah, in a place like the eastern suburbs of Sydney, the value has detached from the utility such that it, it actually behaves more like it, it is more like a Hermes handbag than it is a residential property market.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? And yeah, if you don't understand that, like, and I'm glad you brought that up as well, man, but it can just seem nuts. You know, it can seem crazy. Things are just moving and bouncing around all over the place. So I remember when, um, when I bought my first property, my parents, you know, God, God bless them. You know, they, they just told me to buy a house and I'm like, you should buy this house. There was a house for sale on our street. Now I didn't end up buying that house, but I said, why? And they said, oh, you know, it's a good house, but they didn't actually tell me why. Like there was no, there was no reasoning behind, uh, no sort of strategy as to why that would be a better purchase than say something else in another street or another suburb and whatnot. So, with Dashdot, you started that what for two thousand eighteen? Is that right?
1: Uh, twenty nineteen, started
0: twenty nineteen. Yeah. So, what is it? just talk a bit about that, man? Like, how do you actually bring people through a process, and I guess educate them, actually come up with some sort of plan? How does that all start? What's the framework for that, mate?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, we've evolved a lot over the last uh, four years. Um, when we started out, we said we're buyers agents. We're going go yep. to go buy you a house. Um, which is what buyer's agents do. You know, buyer's agents will go buy your house. That's that's the that's the job. You tell them what you want, they go get it. Um but we very quickly realized that that wasn't actually A who we were or B how we were actually helping our clients because we weren't like saying, you know, hey Simon, you know, what do you what do you want? What do you, what kind of house do you want? Let's go buy that house for you. The specific way we approached it was okay, where are you now? Where are you trying to get to? And then okay, what what assets and what attributes would those assets need to have in order to get you from here to there and to yeah. make sure you don't get stuck. And so in, in instantly that becomes, it becomes a different um, proposition. You know, it's like, no, no, we will tell you, we will tell you where the suburbs are, where we're going to buy in. Right. And we'll agree on what the strategy is. And so it become very, very different now over the last four years, as I mentioned, we've invested a couple of million dollars in just trying to solve the how to buy the right property, right place, right time, like the kind yeah. of like the science side of things, that, that identification piece, which is hectic. Um, we've also now got um, portfolio planning services as well. So typically, the, the, the kind of typical journey that someone goes on with us is um, obviously they get in touch with us, fantastic, and they'll speak to one of our advisors. And, you know, we've got a whole process around that, but we connect, get to understand what's your current position financially, emotionally, uh, metaphysically, what are your hopes, dreams, and desires, needs, fears, and wants. Um, you know all of that kind of stuff borrowing capacity the whole shoot shoot match yeah what are you trying to achieve in how long because it's different for everyone in a lot of cases okay cool and then based on understanding that risk appetite and things like that we then go cool let's build out a plan so then typically we we would build someone we what we call a portfolio growth plan which literally maps out how many properties we're going to need to buy when how much they're going to be what yields do they need to be you get a full plan right Right uh, to go, well, what does that look like? Because then when you have got a plan, you actually can see what, what it looks like in the distance. So if, I'll give you an example. We had a client before we had the portfolio growth plans. Yeah. Um, specifically, we had a client we'd bought five properties for uh in a very short period of time. And he had a goal to hit like 70 grand cash flow in uh, I think it was 10 years yeah. or, or 12 years. And so we bought these five properties and they're great properties, and he was killing it and he was loving it. And he's like, okay, what do we do now? And I was like, Well, well let's just keep doing this. It seems to be working, right? Um But then we built a portfolio. We did a portfolio growth plan for him. And it actually turned out that he didn't need to buy any more properties and he was going to hit his goal. (laughs) And so that difference in that clarity and that certainty is huge because even if you're winning at property investing, you're still probably going to have an anxiety that you're like, am I really making the choices that are going to get me to where I want to get to? Because you just don't know. You've got no clarity, no certainty, no nothing. So you always have this element of anxiety. So we start by building a plan so we can effectively see into the distance and that plan is also reflective of all of the things that we know about property and it markets and how they work. And so it's very sophisticated. Yeah. Then we go and execute the plan. And that way we're taking the emotion out of it and we're going, yeah. okay, cool. I'm, I personally don't care whether it's a $300,000 property or a $600,000 property. Let's look at what the mechanics need to be based on your situation where we're going to get to. And then you just go on executing the formula. You just go, okay, bang, we'll just do that. And we just do that. And then we just do that. And then we just do that. And the benefit of that is because when you know that you've got a plan and you know you're on track, you're actually able to start living that freedom that you want today, which is really, really important. Because if you don't know, definitely, if you're moving towards your goals, you're going to be like, I think we need to save. Maybe we shouldn't go on that European holiday. Oh, we've got to try harder. Maybe we need to push a little bit more. But if you knew you were on track and you knew exactly what you needed to do, maybe you actually could afford to go on that European holiday this year and enjoy that time with your family and start living the life you want today. And so it completely changes the game. So the typical pathway is let's build a plan. Let's execute the plan. Let's yeah. update the plan with the with the actuals. Cause the plan versus reality is always going to be slightly different. Update the plan with actuals, tweak the plan. Cool. Go buy another property update the plan and just keep doing that until we help people to hit their goals.
0: Yeah. How important is that? I mean, you're not spraying and praying. You're actually calculating. Well, you're first, you're visualizing how you want your life to be. So what are the, what does that look like to start off with? And then you're just reverse engineering the process by the sound of it. You know, you're just working backwards to, to the T, really. How often do you have to review it, Goose? like is, because of things happen in life. Do you have a process where you might sit with a client? Is it every, every, I don't know, every month, every three months, every six months, every six months,
1: sort of... every six months? Yeah. Yep. Every six months, do an update. Yeah. How have the values changed? Have the rents changed? Has your savings rate changed? Has your, have your plans changed? Every six months. Yeah. Yep. Every six months I uh, do a plan update. So that's twice a year, and that's that's enough to keep you on track.
0: Yeah. What about your book, man? You've you wrote a book called Limitless. I did. So it resonates with me, obviously, the Limitless Man podcast, the, the renegade's guide to building wealth through property. What inspired yeah. you to write that, mate?
1: Well, I wrote that in the first twelve months of us having our business, which is pretty funny in hindsight, you know, because I like to go a million miles an hour. Um but what I was trying to do was to still down and capture everything that I knew and felt and believed at the time. Now it is out of date. I will put point that out. It is out of date because our scientific method has significantly evolved. Okay. Like significantly evolved. But the principles in that book are timeless. Like they, they, they outlast like the scientific method for sure, because that kind of like how many data points we're using, et cetera, has all changed. But the principles remain the same. And the the main there's kind of like three distinct phases in that book. It, it's it's firstly around how do you how do you work out what you want in life specifically, and so you know to, you mentioned reverse engineering. That's mm. how you work out how to achieve any goal. Yeah, work out where you're trying to get to, and then reverse engineer it. Work backwards, work backwards. on, Okay, if I wanted that there, what would I need to have by then? What would I need to have by then? Like that. So the first part about is is about um, is about how to how to how to how to define those goals. The second part is then around um, property mechanics and like what do you need to know about property in order to be able to understand how this works how does cash flow work how does growth work how to like what how do how does this financial instrument serve you and then the third part of the book is how do you blend those two things together to create a systematic approach to being able to use property to achieve your goals um the whole idea with it was to break things down because like i didn't grow up in a family who talked about property or investing or anything like that and yeah. I was like man like there's so many people out there who just don't know how to think about this, and if I can just help them to change the way they think, then that is going to set them on a path for for success. And so that was the entire goal with the book. And yeah, it's um it's done a it's done a lot of that so far. It's sort of sort of like a little bit science, a little bit property, a little bit you know rich dad poor dad type thing, and and yeah. it's half personal development, half property. So it's it's a it's a good blend. But I think that you you've got to have both. You've got to you've got to have the emotional spiritual side tied to what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. You know, we, we could go all day and I think we're just scratching the surface on some of this stuff. We really are. So, you know, we, I'm mindful of the time and I, I want to wrap it up pretty shortly, but I'd love to jump on another podcast, at, you know, in the short, you know, whenever, mate, in the future, whenever it's convenient, just to sort of drill down into some other concepts that we haven't really touched on today. But just to wrap up, man, I want to know what your definition of limitless is. I started this podcast because I wanted to have genuine discussions with people who had a concept, an idea. Maybe they talked themselves out of it, but then they had the ability to push through that, to change their thinking, to be able to execute. And as a result of that, they've been able to change their life ultimately. So that's the inspiration and the metaphor behind the Limitless Man. What's your definition of that, mate?
1: I think uh, being limitless is uh, living a life that is unbound from uh, from your own personal constraints and limiting beliefs because you can achieve i mentioned this earlier you can achieve absolutely anything that you want in life you can have whatever you want be whatever you want uh, you know achieve whatever you want you can well absolutely anything that you want and the only thing that stops you from doing that is your own limiting beliefs and so the key is in the name is if you can destroy those limiting beliefs, if you, you can kill those sacred cows, then all of a sudden you become limitless. And that was kind of like the the thesis with my book as well. I was like, okay, why don't we deconstruct all of the things that we've been told And how can you, cause you can, you can effectively create an infinite property portfolio. You can yeah. create an infinite life. You can create literally anything that you want as long as you can kind of break down those barriers. And I think that the more that you can systematically do that, the more limitless you become. And as soon as you realize that you can have, do, be and achieve anything that your, that your mind can conceive, that's obviously ripping, ripping that from, um, from uh, what is that book? Um, Napoleon Hill's book. But yeah. as soon as you do, as soon as you do that, you start to live a, a a transformative life. And I think that that's the key to me. The key for me is like to continue to break those things down. And it takes work. It takes consistent work, by the way, yeah. like I, I am obviously a passionate about this topic.
0: Yeah, you can but tell. I,
1: yeah, but I get to points where I realize I've put the blinkers on a little bit and I'm living in a bit of a cloud. And I'm like, oh, any any time in my life that I feel like I'm facing a friction or that I feel a bit depressed or I feel a little bit frustrated or I feel a little stuck, I've now learned by by this happening enough times, I've now learned that that is an indication that I've forgotten where I'm trying to get to and that I can achieve everything I want. And so usually it means that I've stopped visualizing my goals and all of that kind of stuff. And as soon as I then pick up that practice again, all of a sudden my universe starts to expand at a very, very rapid pace. And so, yeah, so for me, it's about living, living unbound.
0: Yeah, well, we didn't even get to the goal setting today. And, and the science behind it and how to do it, how to measure it, how to yep. change it if you need to change it. There's yeah, many topics, mate. But I just thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome to just see your energy, your enthusiasm, you're a wealth of knowledge too uh, when it comes to this space. And yeah, I just uh I love the fact that we're able to connect and have this conversation, mate. How can people reach out to you? If they want to reach out to you? What's the best way? Totally. I mean, if they want to connect with DashDot,
1: just head to DashDot.com.au. You can check everything out there. If you want to connect with me personally, just hit me up on socials um, on most platforms. It's at Goose McGrath. Um, check me out there and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you. Oh, awesome. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate Appreciate you having
0: me on. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.